0: We'll just pray again. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word and for all that it teaches us. And it's because of it that we know we have eternal life and we know about Jesus and what he's done for us. And I pray we would just uh, come to understand it more and more as we unpack it as a gathering of your people this evening. Thank you for doing reading it for us. We know that the very reading of it um, can bring life. And uh, Lord, I pray that now the, the, the telling forth of it also would be a help and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, all right. Well, let's uh, open into John chapter six then. And uh, tonight we're looking at believe, eat, and drink. Uh, chapter six, verse twenty-two to verse seventy-one. Uh, every twenty minutes, we'll take a five-minute break, and uh, we'll, and then come back again until we're done. All right. Um, so what we let's uh, let's look at this. So we we'll have to keep in mind before we crack open into this uh, passage, we have to keep in mind. Uh, What we looked at earlier, a lot of what is happening here is while all of this is while Passover is at hand. Okay, so all of this should be causing us to think about Passover and who was the main guy at Passover was Moses, right? We should have Moses in our brains as we read all of this, all of John chapter six, and uh, both miracles are pointing us back to the Exodus story: the feeding of the, uh, the the miraculous feeding of the multitude, the miraculous crossing through the sea. Now, remember, uh, going back to Exodus then, the people of Exodus are described as a mixed multitude, right? So not everyone who came out of that, uh, out of Egypt was a true I say yes to God person, right? Some of them were just, hey, let's get out of Egypt. And so they weren't all following in faith. There was a mixed multitude of people. And as we watch the story unfold in Exodus and in Numbers, uh, we see the majority of these people who are following Moses are murmurers and grumblers, right? They don't have faith. They are murmuring their whole way through. Uh, God tells them in Deuteronomy, through Moses, ten times you complain to me in like the space of a couple months. Like that's, it's quite intense here, Israel. And they keep moaning, they keep complaining, they keep murmuring. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, that we could go back. And then of course we get to this pivotal moment where they're at the border of the land of Israel. And God's like, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be yours. I promised it to Abraham 400 years ago. Just go in and take it. And what happened? They're they're called in the Bible a generation of unbelief. A generation of unbelief. This whole generation is described as a generation of unbelief. In fact, only a very small amount of people had the faith to enter the land. Out of the millions of people who stood at that borderline, only a few had the faith to enter. Caleb, Joshua, Moses, maybe Aaron, (laughs) and maybe a few of Aaron's house. There's a small collection of people who who had the faith in God to walk across that border and say, let's take this land. The rest of them, out of millions of people, the rest of them are a generation of unbelief. You have got to keep that in your mind as you read this chapter of John. It's, It's the big point of this chapter. You have to keep this in your brain. This is what it's pointing to. And what we're going to see that out of this huge crowd of people that are following Jesus, at the end... There's only a few here left. Thousands of people, perhaps 10,000 people, men, women, and children, are following Jesus. And at the end, 12 of them, almost like the same amount of people that were during Moses' time. We can go in. We can cross this land. We can take it. And here we have, at the very end, a small gathering of people following Jesus. And one of them is the devil. One of the, the other big things we have to remember before we get into this passage is this One of the major themes of John's gospel so far that it's going to continue to be developed right up to chapter 12 is that being a Jew will not save you. Being a Jew will not save you. It's one of the big themes we've been looking at throughout the whole of John's gospel. In John chapter 1, it says your Jewishness won't save you. You're not born of blood or of man or of the will of the flesh. You're born of God by faith in the Son. He came to his own. And his own did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, he gave life. So being a Jew won't save you in John 1. And John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the great religious leader. Hey, Nicodemus, just so you know, you're not in the kingdom. You're a Jew. You're one of the great teachers. But right now, you're not going in. And the only way in is through being born again. And the only way to be born again is by believing in me in this present uh, period of time. Okay, that's John 3. and John 4, being a Jew won't save you. In fact, Jesus is willing to save the opposite of a clean Jew. He's willing to go down and save a female Samaritan sexual sinner. Why? Because they, she believed that he was that prophet. He was the savior of the world. And John 5, being a Jew will not save you. He looks at these Jewish leaders in John chapter 5, who looked at it last time, and he says this. You Jewish leaders are not saved because you won't believe. And the reason you won't believe is because the word of God is in you. The reason you won't believe is because you don't love God. And the reason you won't believe is because you don't believe scripture. So you think you love God. You think you believe scripture. You think the word of God is in you. But if it was all true, you would believe me because I'm from the Father. So now we're in John chapter 6. What do you think is going to be the big theme? If every chapter so far has been, being a Jew won't save you, you have to believe the Son. Do you have any idea what John 6 might be about? Right? Or are we just going to flip it and change my, you know, this is what this is going to be uh, talking about. So try your best as we go through this this evening to keep these two points in mind as we go. Number one, Moses had a small amount of people who were actually of faith. Only a few. And so, so too does Jesus. And number two, the big theme of John's gospel, one of the big themes of John's gospel, is Jewishness won't save you, but faith in Jesus alone will save you. Now, there are two massive topics in this admittedly massive passage that have been argued about amongst people for about 1,500 years. I'm starting to teach uh, church history tomorrow at New Tribes Mission. And uh, I can tell you, for about 1,500 years, these things we 're going to look at tonight have been argued about. we're going to fix it tonight. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, so <laughs> we're just going to walk through this passage, and there's going to be differences of opinion. Um, if you... So here's the two questions. Again, what does it mean to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood?? Okay? If you're wrong in this one, you're a heretic. That's sorry about that, but if you get this one wrong, it's heresy. Okay, so I'm going to be quite forceful about this one because the alternative is heresy and false doctrine. The second one: what does it mean that the father draws people to Jesus? If you're not, if you get this one wrong, but if you're different from me in your view of this, you're not a heretic. You're just different from me on this, and that's okay, right? We're united by Jesus and by the Spirit and by the Gospel, not by what we necessarily believe about the secondary issue. And I just want to caveat before we break into this passage. I'm going to be teaching uh, this passage, and uh, John may have a slightly different direction than I would go, and I would ask you to go talk to John about his perspective too. Um, I'm not going to give you as in, this is the only answer, and don't have any other answers. We're all learning together, we're growing together, I don't have everything, I don't have it all together, Um, and so I'm learning, I'm growing, we all are except John, who's, who's there. So, uh, <laughs> so go talk to him afterwards and get his take on it as well. And then, we, and then we learn together and we grow together and we understand things together as well, okay? So let's set the scene, verse 22 uh, to verse 24. And again, Jesus has crossed over now from the east to Capernaum by a, a miracle. Now, they, they realize these people who have been with Jesus, being fed by him, they realize he wasn't on the boats. He didn't get on the boat, right? It says he went up into a mountain on his own. The disciples went across to Capernaum. He's not on the boat. But they also realize he's not actually here anymore. So they go looking for him in Capernaum. And and that's where he is. And verse 59 tells us he's in the synagogue. And, uh, they're, they're like, how did he get here? Okay? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna, um, break up this, this passage of scripture by literally just going through the questions they asked Jesus. Okay? So every question they asked Jesus is just a new, a new section. I think that's the easiest way uh, to get through this. Okay, so the, the first thing we look at is their motives. In verse 25 to verse 27, when they find him on the other side of the lake, they, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Or, like, how did you do that? You weren't on that boat. And, uh, you know, when did you, when did you arrive here? Like, what was that all about? Notice that Jesus doesn't answer the question. Verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you eat the loaves and you had your fill. Okay, so D- Jesus doesn't answer their question, which is a great theme of John's gospel. They ask a question. Jesus like, I'm going to answer the, the actual question that you should, be answering, you should be asking, right? And so he, he does something else. And what we see here is that Jesus knows these people's hearts. He knows their hearts. And he knows that they just want more bread. All they want is their bellies filled. It says here, all you want is to have more loaves and to have your bellies filled. You call me Rabbi. You call me Master. But you're not actually my followers. You're not interested in the reality of why I'm actually here. And that's why in verse 15, verse 14 and 15, when they wanted to make Jesus king, he refused to allow them to make him the king because it was all because of what they could get. Because it was the misunderstanding of who Jesus was and what he'd come to do. Then we come to verse 27 and Jesus says to them that they should work for eternal food. Right? Don't be working for food that perishes. Work for eternal food. You have come follow me for bread that spoils. But I'm the Son of Man, and I've come from the Father to give you eternal life bread. Okay? Eternal life bread. This is alluding to an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 55, verse 1 to verse 2. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat, even if you have no money. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you working for the the temporal things? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Jesus is alluding much of this passage to Isaiah, that little section uh, of Isaiah. And he says, I've come to give you this free bread, free wine, free milk. If you'll come uh, to me. And by alluding to this passage, Jesus is saying to the vast majority of this crowd, you're not the true followers. You're not my fathers, and you don't follow me. Uh, you're not the followers of my father, because why do you spend money for what's not bread? So you're not, you're not his people uh, in faith. Okay. So then we get to verse 28 to verse 29, and we see their Confusion. Jesus just told them, do the work that will give you eternal bread, eternal life bread. They respond in verse 28, what must we do to do the work that God... So how do we do that? And isn't that what we... Isn't that sometimes sadly what happens is that when God offers eternal life to people, the question is, what do I have to do to earn this? What do I have to do to get this? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus... Knocks through all of that in verse 29, simply says, This is the work of God. Believe the one he sent. Believe the one he sent, and you will receive eternal life bread. Okay? Now just hold on to that. The way to receive eternal life bread is simply by believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay? So we get to the third little section. There are demands in verse 30 to verse. 33, Jesus just said, all you have to do is to believe that I'm the sent one. And verse 30, they respond, what sign will you give that we may see and believe? What are you going to do? Uh, sorry, I thought they were following Jesus because they saw the signs. Now they're turning around and saying, what signs? Huh? What else can you do to prove uh, you are who you say you are? What sign? What work? And we're reminded of 1 Corinthians, the Jews seek after signs, but we preach Christ and him crucified. And they say this in verse 31, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven, quoting from uh, the Psalms, which is interesting because that Psalm is all about the unbelief of that generation. But what they're basically saying is, all right, it's really good that you fed like 10,000 of us in one day. Moses fed like millions of us for 40 years. So uh, what are you going to do? All right? And that's basically their question. Like, what sign do you have to demonstrate that you are who you say you are? Jesus responds in verse 32 to verse 33. He says, it wasn't Moses. It was my father. And my father has given me as well. And Jesus is basically saying here, I haven't come to bring bread from heaven. I have come as the bread of heaven. I haven't come to feed your bellies. I've come to be the bread of heaven. I've come not just to deal with your physical needs, but to bring eternal life, to deal with your spiritual needs. And then we get to their unbelief in verse 34 to verse 40. They say to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. And that's a lot like some of the people so far that we've met in John's gospel. Always. Give us this bread always. Always. This is kind of their way of saying, well, like six days a week for 40 years, like Moses did. We'll take it if you'll give it to us. And it's a lot like Nicodemus. What do you mean we need to be born again? How am I able to get back into my mother's womb? Or the woman of Samaria. Lord, bring me this water so I never have to come back to this well again. Or the disciples in John 4, when Jesus says, I have meat to eat that you know not off. And they say, who brought me some food? Because they they're not getting what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said, I've come to be the bread of heaven. And they're like, yeah, give us this bread every day. And we'll, and we'll follow you. If you'll give us bread every day, we'll be yours. And so we get to verse 35. Jesus again says, I am that bread of life. Come to me and you'll never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. Alluding to Isaiah 49 verse 10. They shall neither hunger nor thirst Neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. You'll never thirst or hunger again if you come and follow me. Notice again that it's by believing that you'll never thirst or hunger again. It's by simply believing uh, who Jesus is in verse 35. But what Jesus does now is he enters into this little section. Uh, We'll just go back. In verse 36 As I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All right? So, so far he's been saying, all you need to do is believe. All you got to do is believe I am who I say I am and you'll have eternal life bread. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty spiritually because you'll have eternal life. And then he says in verse 36, but you don't believe. He looks into their hearts. These people that have followed him to Capernaum and says, you don't actually believe. So we get to verse 37, all that the father gives me will come. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me will never be sent away, will never be driven out, will never be cast away. And this is beautiful, isn't it? You come to the father, you'll never be cast out. You come to the son and you'll never be cast out. Now, the question is asked in verse 37, who are these people that the father gives him? Who does the Father give the Son? Well, it doesn't tell us any more than that for now. Right? So we'll just pause. I know you're all chomping at the bit to get there. John, especially. <laughs> but just hold on to your horses a little second. For us to say more at this point in time would be, would be to read more into this passage than it says. So we're just going to keep going for now. And we're going to have that question in our mind who are these people that the Father gives the Son? What we do know so far from John's gospel is that the father is looking for certain people. All right? If you remember, if you've been with us in John's gospel, who is the father seeking so far in John's gospel? The lost the true, worshipers. true worshipers, which are, you know, people who will come through. Those John chapter 4, the father seeks such who worship him, those who worship in spirit and in truth. So far that's all we know. All we know is that the Father's looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And now we know that the Father gives people to Jesus. Okay, We get to verse 38. And at Jesus it says essentially the same thing as he did in John chapter 5. What does that mean for us? Okay, This is like a crypt class uh, all over again. If you re- verse 38 is basically him saying all that he already said in chapter 5. What does that mean? It means you should read all of John 6... And remember John 5 at the same time. Keep it all in your brain. Try trying to keep those 130 verses in your mind as you read the whole thing. That's what he's saying here. Because he's pointing back to the conversation Jesus had with unbelieving Jewish leaders in chapter 5. Verse 39 tells us, This is the will of him who sent me, that I'll lose none of those he's given me. And I'll raise them up in the last day. None of those who come will be lost. They'll be risen up on the last day because Jesus is uh, the resurrection. And we get to verse uh, 40. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Again, it's very stressed here. The will of the father is that people will look and believe in Jesus and have eternal life. How do you get eternal life? By looking and believing in Jesus. Once again, the way to receive eternal life bread is by looking to Jesus and believing in him as the one that's been sent from the Father. So let's just pause for a second and consider everything so far. We'll take 20 minutes and just go back over that again, okay? Not really. So here's just a few things to remember. Number one, Jesus has come to bring something that's greater than manna. Something greater than manna, Jesus is bringing. Eternal life bread, not just physical bread. Number two, that eternal life bread is given to those who will look and believe in who he is. Number three, those who come looking and believing are given to Jesus by the Father. And number four, those who are given to him will never be cast out. Once you're in, you're in, says Jesus. Okay, then we get to... uh, Oh yeah, that's the four. I just give you that. There you are. Just in case you didn't hear what I said. There's the list. All right? Uh, okay. Next we have their grumbling. Is everyone okay? Does everyone need to stand up and sort of shake their heads a little bit? Are we all right? Someone's got some Haribo to pass around to keep our brains there. But verse 41 to verse 51 is their grumbling. Jesus has said some really amazing things in this section. The section above and verse 34 to verse 40. And they listened to none of it. The only thing they picked up on was when Jesus said in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. And they're like, who does this guy think he is? Bread of life, come down from heaven. Verse 41. At this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. It's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he say, I came down from heaven? They've ignored everything he said in verse 36 to verse 40. They're mad at his claim that he is the bread. The fact that they're mad at this tells us something about their hearts. If we go back to John 5, right? Jesus says in John 5, the reason you don't believe what I'm saying is because the word of God isn't in you. The reason you don't believe what I'm saying is because you don't love God. And you don't believe the scriptures. So the fact that they're mad tells us where their hearts are in relation with God. Jesus has already told us, if they loved the Father, they would love and believe the Son. These people don't love the Father. Or they don't love Jesus, implying they don't love the Father. But this grumbling doesn't fizz Jesus. Verse 43, stop grumbling Amongst yourselves, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. You cannot come to the Father, says Jesus, unless to the Son, unless you're drawn by the Father, and only those drawn by the Father will come to the Son. It says will, not might. Will it's a certain thing here in this passage, and again we're left asking the question: Who are those people drawn by the Father? Who does the Father draw? To the sun. Well once again. We're not actually told. We're only told that certain people will be drawn. And those people will come. We're not told who those people are. Just yet. So to say more would be to read into the passage. At what isn't there. At this present time. So again those who do come however. Will receive resurrection life. In verse 44. Then we get to verse 45. And verse 45. Is key to. To the whole meaning of this passage. It's, it's, like, it's like the little central thing. That turns the whole passage. Verse 45. Okay, This is pivotal. If you haven't listened so far. Listen to verse 45. Right, Verse 45 is the moment. That sort of everything begins to become clear. In this section. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father. And learned from him. Comes to me. What does that mean? Everyone who has past tense, heard the Father, and learned past tense from him, present tense, comes to me. Jesus is quoting here Isaiah 54 verse 13. All your children will be taught by God. Isaiah 54 is, uh, Pepe read it earlier, it's all about God promising Israel a future. These people in Isaiah 54 are under the old covenants. And part of this Isaiah fifty four is that there's going to be a new covenant, right? There's, they're under the law of Moses, they're under the covenant of Moses, but there's a new covenant that's coming with flourishing and righteousness and peace, and a generation of your sons who will be taught by God. And Jesus, he takes this prophecy, and if at any time Jesus quotes prophecy, man, you've got to go. That's like the pivotal moment. If he quotes it, you're like. He's got something on the brain here. you got to go back and figure this out, right? So Jesus takes this prophecy and he says this. They will all be taught by God. And then his interpretation of it is this. Those who have already heard and already learned from the Father will evidence that by coming to the Son. Those who have already heard and already learned from the Father will evidence that by coming to the Son it's vital to remember what Jesus told the religious leaders in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, you have never heard my father. Okay. He's looking at these religious leaders and he says, you have never heard him. But here he says in verse 45, those who have heard him will come to me. You've never heard him, which is why you will not presently come. In verse 38 of John 5, he says, the word of God isn't in you. In verse 42, he says, you don't love God. And verse 46, you don't believe the scriptures. What's the evidence of those things? The fact that they will not come to Jesus. We have got to remember, in light of all this, there were people who were saved and justified before Jesus came. Right? Was Abraham in the faith? Is Abraham a saved person? Yeah. Yeah why cuz he believed he believed and he, it says in Romans 4 he believed and he was justified okay and he belonged to the father and many many old testament saints believed and therefore belonged to the father so keeping the whole of John so far in context you can't be being a Jew won't save you and all he said in John chapter 5 Jesus is saying that those who already belong to the father who were in by faith before Jesus came and were alive at this point, will show that they're in by coming to Jesus. If you belong to the Father, then you'll show that by coming to me. God will draw those people that are his to his son and they'll come because they already belong to God. Think about it. I mean, I mean it's going back a little bit, but people like Simeon and Anna, they love God. And when God told them, that's him, how did they respond? They were drawn to the son, and they believed this is the one. Why did they believe this is the one? Because they loved God, and they heard God, and they knew God. And when God said, this is my son, they believed that that was the son. People like Nicodemus, although he was a secret disciple, he's like, I believe he belonged to the father, perhaps. And the disciples as well, as we'll see a bit later on. Those, this is, this is the claim, and this is something you need to talk to John about later on. Those who have already allowed the word in their hearts will believe the Son. Those who already have heard the Father will come to the Son. Those who already love God will show that by loving the Son. Those who already honor the Father will honor the Son as well. In John chapter 8, Jesus is going to say to all of these people, The same thing, but in a different way. In John chapter 8, he says, You may be Jews, but God is not your father. Because the devil is your father. Right? That's John chapter 8. You may be Jews, but God is not your father. And he actually says this, If God was your father, you would believe me. If God was your father, you would believe me, and you would love me. And in John chapter 17, those the father gives are those who were his and now gives to Jesus. So if we go to, uh, this, is the sec- this is all of uh, John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The will of the Father is that all that he has given me, I should lose nothing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The question being, who are these people? Well, if we go over to John chapter 17, Jesus continues to speak like this. He should, this is, he should give eternal life. Jesus should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Okay. And then verse six, the men who you have given me out of the world, they were already yours. And you've given them to me. They belong to you already. And then you give them over to me. I pray for those who you have given me for they are yours already. They're yours. They're already ears. They've, they heard you speak. In their hearts, they believed. And then you drew them to me, and you give them to me. Those whom you give me, I have kept. And then we get to chapter 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through the word. So it seemed that John 17 and John 6, those the Father give are, my my, my as far as I can see, are those... In this temporary scenario, as the Old Testament transitions into the New Testament, right? This is a transition period where there are Old Testament believers, and yet the Son of Man is on the earth. And God the Father gives his true followers over to God the Son as they enter into following Jesus. The ones that God the Father draws to his Son are the ones who belong to the Father already by faith. That's what it says in chapter 7. The men who you've given me out of the world, they were yours, but you've now given them over uh, to me. And they're still yours in verse 9 as well. So so these people are the disciples who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. Uh, And not just the 12, but those who gathered in the upper room in the book of Acts. This tiny little remnant of people, 120 those are who the Father give him at this point in John's Gospel. The little gathering of those who have actual faith amongst the people of Israel, just like in the time of Moses, the little ones of faith. And they evidence the fact that they're the fathers by becoming the sons. Are we all right there? Is that everyone's brain okay? Okay, verse 46 to verse 47, just quickly, Jesus says that he has seen the Father, he's been sent by the Father, I am the bread, believe, and you will have eternal life. Once again, all you have to do is believe and you'll have eternal life. In verse 48 to verse 50, Jesus once again, I am that bread. Uh, The manna that was offered under Moses gave you physical life, but they're all dead. I've come to bring you eternal life bread. Once again, and in verse 51 is where we get to the the next big tension of John 6. I am that living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now remember, so far, what, so just in case you want, let's see. How do we get, so far in John 6, before we got to this verse, how do you get eternal life bread? By believing, right? <laughs> by believing the Son, the only way to get eternal life bread is by believing the Son. Now he says, "I am the bread, and my my bread that my flesh is this bread." So, how, what does this mean about uh, eating Jesus? Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And of course, this is where we get the Roman Catholic view of Mass, which is we they literally believe they're eating his body and drinking for uh, his blood. But what we see here, if we keep all of John 6 and the whole of John in context is this, it's the same thing as drinking in John 4. Jesus says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How did this woman of Samaria drink that water Jesus gave? By believing. There was no actual water. She just believed and was given eternal life water. It means the same thing as being born again in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is confused. Was, was Nicodemus actually born again? Like physically born again? No. He was born off the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh and the spirit is spirit. Okay, so let's keep going. We'll get to verse 52 to verse 59. There's not much left. 71 verses. We're at 52 at the moment. We're getting there, right? We're doing really well. Uh, But verse 52 suggests us, or tells us, they don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about, okay? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Same as the woman of Samaria. Where are you getting this water from? You don't even have anything to draw with, right? Same idea. They're confused about what's happening. Then we get to verse 53 to verse 58. I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Whoa. Wait, what do we do with this, right? Well, let's just remember the only way to receive eternal life bread is by believing. Verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. He who believes in me has everlasting life. So what we can see here is that there's no need to panic about this. Because everything so far, from verse 29 to 47, is about believing in order to have eternal life. Now Jesus says, you have to eat me and drink me. So is he, is he contradicting himself? No, he's being metaphorical, right? It's a symbol. Symbolic, just like symbolic of the woman of Samaria, drinking the water to never thirst again. And just like uh, the symbol of Nicodemus being born again, And this is what is being applied here. It's by faith we partake uh, in Jesus. The moment we've come to trust in him and the fact that he died for us, the fact that he uh, was, was tortured for us and crucified for us and shed his blood for us and rose again. And when we place our faith in Jesus, it's in who he is and in what he's done for us and shedding his blood. And when the moment you come and you trust in Jesus as your Savior, in a symbolic way, you eat his body and you drink his blood and then you're in and he's in you. But it didn't actually happen. It's believing in him. So we get to their offense in verse 60 to verse 65. They ask the question, they say this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? In other words, who can accept it and go along with it? Like, who's going to be able to eat this guy? What in the world? We're Jews. We don't eat humans. What's going on here? And so, verse 61 to 62, Jesus can hear them grumbling amongst themselves and grumbling in their hearts. He knows all things their outward whispers and their inward whispers. And he basically says, If you think this is breaking your categories, you haven't seen anything yet. Because the Son of Man in human form is going to ascend to the glories as God on the throne one day. And you think this is big? Wait till you see what's going to happen after this. Verse 63 again, it unlocks it a bit for us. These are the words of the Spirit that people of the flesh cannot understand. He said in John 3, the flesh is flesh and the Spirit is spirit. John 4, the Father seeks those worship Him in spirit and in truth. And basically this, you'll only be able to understand these things if your heart has been prepared by the Spirit, if you've already been taught by God, if the Word is already in your heart. Jesus is teaching this way, because those who don't love the Father will be so repulsed by Him that they'll walk away. And those who do love the Father will connect with what He's saying and realize it's about faith, was is what Peter says just a little bit later on. In verse 64 to verse 65, Jesus says, not all of you here believe. Because he knows their hearts. He knows what's in, in each man. And again, he says, and that's why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them to come. The only way that you could come is if the Father granted you. In other words, if you were one of the ones in verse 45 who have already been taught by and learned from the Father. And then we come to our uh, close. We're not even doing too bad. It's like only two minutes to six. How good is that, right? Uh, verse 65. No one has a clue what to do with this, though. No one got anything tonight, but at least we're at the end. Verse 65 uh, to verse 71. Many left. Uh, verse 66 to twenty. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They weren't true followers. They were ones who were following him for uh, the bread. Many of those of fickle faith who were not taught by the father left, but Peter and the 12, the other 12, they stay. They believe. It says they believe. It doesn't say they eat. Uh, it says in verse 67, you don't want to leave as well, do you? Jesus asked the 12, Simon Peter answered them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Not you have the flesh of it, not give us your blood to drink. You have the words of eternal life. And then verse 69, we have come to eat. No, we have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. Okay? So it's by faith, not by literally eating and drinking from Jesus. These people belong to the Father already. And so the Father was drawing them to the Son but Jesus says that even within the twelve, one of them isn't actually the fathers. Okay, He's not, He doesn't belong to the father. Uh, he was never the fathers, and so he isn't actually the sons. It says in verse 70, one of you is actually instead a devil. Okay, um, Going back to John 8, you're of your father, the devil. You're not actually the children of God. If you were, you would be my true follower. So this passage reveals to us that Jesus sees right into the very hearts of people. He sees that many of them are following him just for bread and not for eternal life. What can they get out of him? He sees that many of them want him to be keen so that they can gain, not so they can be rescued from their sin. He sees that many of them are not taught by God and so will not come to him. And he sees even in his own little group those who would ultimately betray him, Judas Iscariot. He knows. He's not surprised by anything we do or think or say or harbor in our hearts. He knows it all. He knows your heart this evening. So just to draw a conclusion to tonight, hopefully everyone's brain's okay for going home. Uh, I'll I'll direct you out the door if you need help (laughs) getting out there tonight. Uh, But what does it mean to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood? It means to simply believe in him. Believe that he is God in the flesh. Believe that he's been sent by the Father. Believe that he went to the cross, died for your sins, shed his blood, and rose again. Believe that, and you'll have eaten of his body and drunken from his blood. And the second question, what does it mean that the Father draws people to Jesus? Well, again, what I I believe this passage in the whole of John is saying, those who belong to the Father by faith already, will then be drawn over to the Son. The evidence that they belong to the Father is that when the Son comes and reveals Himself, they will say, we recognize you as the one who's been sent. By the Father, but again, uh, I encourage you to go and talk to John and hear how his wrong interpretation of that passage. I'm just joking, John. <laughs> just, isn't that good? We can we can be all right. We're okay. It's in Christ we're united, right? And uh, we can love each other and have these these different views. So I, I hope this has helped this evening to unpack this massive passage of scripture. And uh, see what it has to say for us tonight. If you're not his, come and believe him. Come and believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. Come and eat and drink by faith and have eternal life. And if you're his, how wonderful that you're his. How wonderful that you've eaten and drunken. How wonderful that you'll never hunger or thirst again. How wonderful that you will never, ever be cast out. You belong to him forever now because he is in you and you're in him. Amen. 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 Well, let's uh, come together as we sing just a fun-